Hello, and welcome to this FRDH First Rough Draft of History podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. Twitter doesn't have to be a sewer of ill-informed rage. When I first started using the platform, it was to keep up with news from Iraq. I covered the overthrow of Saddam as an unembedded reporter based in northern Iraq, Kurdistan, wrote a book about an Iraqi friend who was murdered, and have returned every five or so years to the country, usually to the north, around Mosul. In 2014, when ISIS swept into the region and established its short-lived caliphate in Mosul, I started following Omar Mohammed, who was tweeting reports from the city under the handle Mosul I. It was an act of stupendous courage. If he had been discovered, he would certainly have been executed. By chance, Omar was in London for a day or two this week, just as events in Syria threatened to give ISIS a chance to regenerate. We got in touch, via Twitter, of course, and met up for coffee at a cafe in Lamb's Conduit Street to talk about Trump's decision to withdraw American troops from the Kurdish area of northeastern Syria, which gave the green light to Turkish President Erdogan's invasion. I started by asking for his assessment of the current situation. I think what's happening now is going to create another disaster, but we will be unable to stop the consequences or to deal with the consequences, because this time everyone is tired, cities are destroyed, and there is nowhere to, to hide. I mean, Turkey is disrespecting all of the world order. What's fascinating about all of this is why Europe is not responding to this. I mean, I have, I have myself, this is a big question for me. Is Europe afraid of stopping Turkey from invading northern Syria because they are afraid of more refugees would uh, move to Europe? Or is it because someone is using this card of ISIS fighters being held in, in, in Syria? It's a very complicated situation. It's in a very, like, this is a very complicated position that Europe have put itself in because they, they relate a lot on the United States, and the United States is proving every day that they are not a good friend, and what Trump said was true. It's the first time that I would agree with him when he said that U.S. should never have been in Middle East. Yes, they should, ne- they should never have been in the, in the Middle East because all of these problems are caused by the U.S. Would you have preferred to stay under Saddam? Absolutely no. So how is that going to end? Well, if if we go back to discuss the the, the U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2003, it's it's a very complicated question, to be honest. We wanted Saddam to be removed, absolutely. But we also know that there was another way to make this change. What the Americans brought wasn't the change. It's Bush who had an idea of just destroying Saddam, and that's it. He had no idea what's going to happen later. Uh, uh, they had no plan of rebuilding Iraq and what they called the new Iraq that we can see now, it's a failing state. We wanted the change, but it wasn't supposed to be this way. He lays equal blame on the Obama administration for its 2011 drawdown of forces in Iraq for what is happening now in northern Syria. They caused this. When they withdrew from Iraq in 2011, they gave, uh, as if they gave of giving permission to all of this this chaos to emerge. The Kurds shouldn't blame anyone but the Americans. Promising someone to support 
and working with them, giving them the impression that we will always be there with you. But all of a sudden you decide in one tweet, I'm sure everyone will know to whom I am referring, it's Trump, of course, saying all of a sudden that we will leave the courts alone with the Turks. Is this the, the new U.S. foreign policy that we have expected? Uh, I mean, even Bush wouldn't have done this. Although he left Iraq, or Obama left Iraq in 2011, but it wasn't exactly the same. Iraq at least had some some administration. I mean, abandoning your friend is, is a disaster. The disaster that follows in a security vacuum after the U.S. military departs a conflict zone is something Omar knows about intimately. He can remember every detail about the night ISIS arrived in Mosul and changed his city forever. I was marking my uh, students' exam papers. It in what subject? History. I was teaching history at the university at that time. and uh, This was the mid-term uh, exam. It was 2, 2 a.m., as I prefer to work, I'm, I'm like a night owl. And everything happened in that night of June the 6th of 2014. They started shooting. I still remember this. Myself and my family, we thought that this is something going to end in like maximum, maximum three days. So we thought well, this is a, just another, like another attack. And it, next day we will go back to work. But it wasn't was something that changed everything. Like Mosul before ISIS and now Mosul after ISIS, they are both completely two different cities. It's not just the destruction. Buildings can be rebuilt. My, my brother died during the battle to retake Mosul from ISIS. He died inside his house. Even this, my brother, like, well, I will cry him, I'll mourn him for 10 years, let's say. But at the end, like, I would think of his children, they will grow, they will become adults, they will continue their lives. But what has changed in Mosul is the roots of the city. The fundamental identity of the city has completely changed. It's no more the same city. It's no more the same city that would live again the same, like, or produce the same values. Those values were unique. Mosul was a place of tolerance, religious. There were Christian churches of several different confessions. It was a tolerant place ethnically. There were Kurds, Turkmen, as well as the majority Arab population. And it was a tolerant place intellectually, although Saddam's totalitarianism drove that underground. It wasn't without tensions, but compared to other cities in Iraq, it was absolutely unique. They disconnected the city from the rest of the world. They disconnected the city from everything. And the way they were weaponizing history freaked me out. And I say to myself that they are here not just to occupy the city. No, they are bringing a whole package of history they are trying to impose on the city. And that this moment is where we will say before this event and after this history is made. It's just like when they say before the fall of Rome and after the fall of Rome. And now the prospect is that these guys can regenerate themselves because of what's happening. It's, and, and so people understand. I mean, the distance from Mosul into Syria 
it's on the borders. On there, there is no distance. I mean, I mean, if you if you drove a half an hour, yeah. I mean, you, you it, I mean, I wouldn't say there is a distance. I wouldn't even say there is a border, because it's. I mean, historically, this area is connected, and everyone is is fighting over this area. So I wouldn't say there is even a border. You have on the two sides two camps of ISIS fighters, and you would have even what is more dangerous than ISIS fighters themselves. Their children who are detained in these camps who know nothing but, I mean, they are brainwashed because they were disrespected, they were badly treated, horribly treated, uh, they were abused, and those children, yesterday they were children, now they are adults, and all they know is to take revenge. From whom, I don't know, but they would kill everyone. This is what they say. Just imagine, it's a possible scenario in the next few days. I'm afraid that we will see it. Those two sides of the ISIS fighters, they will run out of the camps and they will regroup themselves and they would launch another attack. And this time it's not going to be a normal attack. As I said, they would kill everyone. That's why it's, it's, it's very dangerous what's happening. You said you couldn't live in Mosul anymore. I'm, 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 no more able, I'm, I'm no more able to go back to Mosul and it's funny that I have done many projects in the city. I've organized many events in the city, but I am not there. <laughs> I mean, connecting the university with other universities and arranging, like, to the extent that I arrange the event with the time the people should attend and I just follow the event from abroad. It's horrible for me. It's really hurting. But at least, at least I am able to do something. What does it make you feel about the United States when you see this on a Sunday night? Yes. You're probably awake. You know, you're 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 on Twitter, and you see the, that the president says this. We're pull, we're going now. He announces it on Twitter. What does that make you feel? Unsafe. It makes me completely unsafe anywhere, because if he could do something like this. He could do worse things. And imagine that the whole world's policy is a hostage in the smartphone of the President of the United States. The whole world is a hostage in this smartphone. He could just say something on Twitter and that's it. And that's all for this FRDH podcast. My thanks to Omar Mohammed for taking time to speak with me. You can hear more. Lots more at the website, www.goldfarbpod.com. Please visit and please make a donation to keep the podcasts coming. Thanks.